1: Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Specifically, tonight's story includes the use of derogatory slurs towards certain groups. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my friends. It's nice to see you back here on Horror Hill. As always, I'm your narrator, Eric Peabody. Tonight, we're going to be featuring a story by author Michael Boder, who's had a number of stories on our network as of late. Nothing like a little fresh blood to whet the appetite. In tonight's tale, titled Fake ID... Our young protagonist, Ollie, is on a mission. This is a mission that's commonly undertaken by high schoolers, to obtain a fake ID card and to use that card to procure alcohol. Luckily for Ollie, he already has a line on a fake ID, one owned by local cool kid, Matthew McAnulty. The rebellious Matthew is doing everything that he can to drive his straight-laced parents up the wall, including selling ID cards. But once Ollie has Matt's ID, he begins to wonder if he's taken on more than just a fake name, and what familial nightmare he might have inherited with it. You're listening to the Standard Edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author Michael Boder, I present... Fake ID 1. I meet Matt MacInulty under the willow tree by the science block out the back of school. The branches drizzle droplets around us like a screen of freezing rain. It's a Friday afternoon, just us and an ocean of wet grass and a sky bruised with cold rain. Start of the weekend, pretty much... Everyone's gone off to their cabins and cottages and penthouse suites to get the fuck away from school. Me? I'm staying right here and getting lit. I don't care how cold it is. I've dressed up special. I'm scoring me a sweet-ass fake ID, and I'm gonna get me some cans of Cody's Bourbon and Coke and relax, yo. Be drunk in the alleyway by dinnertime if everything goes to plan. My parents run my life like a prison. Plus, everyone at school thinks I'm a noob. I need to get out. Need some electricity in my grey Friday. I need a new life. Matt Mackinulty isn't up on my vibe, even though it was his original idea to push this fake idea on me. He's a senior, eighteen, ancient compared to me. He's seen a lot. He wants to take my desperate money quick, then say something mean and slink away. He's cold and cautious and disappointed on the best of days, and today, his jaw is like a hunk of wood. No chewing, no swallowing. His eyes are unblinking balls of white glass. I guess he's wary because he comes from a vanilla home and both his parents are like neurosurgeons that teach at the medical school, or they were before his dad got forced out or whatever. Becoming a badass gangster for Matt McAnulty means selling fake stolen shit and fucking up his grades and getting in trouble and being mean to younger kids like me and breaking his parents' hearts. He's working on it. Fucks up with your faggy-ass clothes. I've got a white church shirt on and a tie, the only tie I could find. It's got Snoopy and Woodstock on it. Thought I'd, you know, look like I'm old and stuff. Make it easier to get the alcohol bought, know what I'm saying? I press two $20 bills into his hand for my fake ID. He 180s, moves under the darkest bough of the willow tree, turning his back completely, counts the cash while I shiver and stamp my feet. Finally, Matt McAnulty spins back around, holds out a little rectangle of plastic, and I take his driver's license. He'll tell the feds it's stolen and get a replacement, easy peasy. This fake plastic me, this Matthew Lawrence McAnulty in the ID photo, has paper-colored skin, blue irises fizzy with pink. Looks vaguely like me. Could be a cousin, if you squint. The real-world Matt McAnulty is pulling the white hood over his red NBA cap and backing away. He is preparing to dip... Steam comes out his mouth as he gives me instructions. "'Oliver, kid, don't tell people I got you this.' "'I won't, I promise.' "'I put the fake ID in the chest pocket of my corny white church shirt with my alcohol money. "'You people say anything while you're having a spaz, though, won't you?' "'He's making fun of my condition, my disorder. "'Do you even take your meds today?' "'cause I don't want people seeing my name on your card "'and thinking Maddie MacInulty is some disabled faggot. "'Totally, bro. I took my pills, straight up.' "'What he means is I have this glitch in my brain called epilepsy. "'Kids at school don't think it's massively weird "'if they've grown up with me. "'People just think having epilepsy "'is the equivalent of having jug-handle ears or something. "'They're random, my seizures.' Like, I'll be riding my bike home with a box of Chinese food and the world will disappear in white and I'll find myself on a tractor beam pulling me up to the clouds. Except when bystanders roll me into the recovery position and I wake, I'm actually on a roundabout with foam bubbling onto my chin. I have these partial seizure things too. Like, I won't realize I'm taking my shirt off and sitting on some random kid's desk and drawing concentric circles and they're like, What the actual fuck? It's electricity zapping your brain, that's all. I have these meds called levatoracidim that suppress the seizures, except I've been selling them to Matt, hoping it'll make him respect me. If he does respect me, he ain't showing it. Matt McAnulty has a kitchen knife, the same ginsu that my mom has, actually, and he's stroking his finger along the blade, as if he's thinking of sticking it on me. It's still got orange rind on it. Must have borrowed it from his parents' kitchen. Considering they're brain surgeons, he could have borrowed something sharper. I ain't going to jail for fucking selling fake IDs, so just... Just don't do anything retarded while you're being me. 100%. Promise? I promise, man. Matt puts his knife away, jams his hands into his pockets, shoulders hunched, takes another step back, then looks around. He wants something from me before he goes. Like, as if dumping his ID on me is dumping his actual identity, and he's anxious about saying later to it. Just like, off the record and shit, what does it, you know, feel like? Oh, my epilepsy? Thanks for asking, Matt. Um, I, I guess it's like this glowing white fire, so bright that it, like, rubs out everything. Like that Batman eraser you biffed at me that time? Then I wake up on the ground with a sore neck. Your muscles tense up real bad. Matt's jaw still doesn't move. He shifts away a few feet, leaves a trail in the dewy grass. There's partial ones too, where it's like I can see that my body's doing spastic stuff, but I don't control it, I tell him. My old man's into that Nero shit, so... I don't know, bro. He'd love to get his hands on you. He pulls his white Echo hood up further. The hoodie looks brand new. His rich surgeon parents must have paid for the threads. He fiddles with his hood one last time, pulling it down, and takes a quick side-to-side glance to see if anybody will notice him being nice to a loser. Your seizures are your temporal lobe fucking up. Problems in your hippocampus, because that's like your control switchboard. He spits, grinds the spit with the toe of his puffy skate shoe. Brain stuff, gee. It's just dinner table talk where I come from, know what I'm saying? You want me to come to your house for dinner, Matt? What? Shit, no. You don't want to meet my family, nigga. Anything happens with your fake ID... He begins, then searches for the ideal words. He's about to tell me he'll be there for me. Just give him a text and he'll back me up. Anything happens, you don't know me. He runs towards Mrs. Hamilton's fence, which borders the school, vaults the fence, and disappears. I want to do the exact same. Shit, it'd be awesome to follow Matt McAnulty's footsteps, live his life, be his twin. But I wait 30 seconds, so I'm not walking up his ass. I take the route out of school, past the special needs retard unit, past the lemon bushes and neatly mown Bermuda grass. I mosey down Terradale Place, connect with Lincoln Road, suck a breath of air, and tell myself, you got this. I position my legs to take me east up Lincoln Road to buy some liquid happiness. Melt away all the stress and frowning and meanness I get from my depressed dad. All the failure from my fingertip-nibbling mom hiding behind piles of laundry. I begin walking the 1.9 miles up the road to my destination, to the magnet on the horizon. Liquor, boss. Navy blue building with big white and red stripes throbbing among the tire shops and warehouses. Powerful American colors. There's electricity inside the store. Naughty, thrilling intoxication magic potion to take me out of my lame-ass life. I duck inside the first bus stop outside St. Ninian's Church, push against the wire mesh, go behind it so I'm as far away from traffic as possible. Is that my dad in his Kia? Is that... no. Yes? Matt McInulty's old man driving by. The fuck... I press my back against slimy fences and dripping walls and hedges, kicking a sack of rotten McDonald's out of the way. Bushes hang low over me, camouflaging me for hundreds of yards. I stay almost invisible, forgotten. I take the long route, behind a trash bin and a discarded fridge. I hop between islands in a puddle large as a lake. I hold my tie against my chest so it doesn't get splashed. Come on, bro. You got this. Here we go. One and a quarter miles I've traveled so far, my Fitbit tells me. All right. 1.3. 1.4. I'm outside Sunnyside, the mental hospital. 1.5 miles. Here's the dairy. Here's that place that sells balls of wool yarn. A chain of old villas. Traffic is slurping past on a conveyor belt. 1.7 miles. 1.8. Close, Oliver. Close. Hold it together. You're dressed like a door-to-door Mormon. No one's gonna question you. 1.9 miles covered. (sighs) Liquor boss is right there. I'm on the lip. The edge. Look. Customers are crossing the concrete forefront. Coming and going with their paper bags of liquid party. Swallow, Ollie. Uh, No, Matt, actually. Yeah, Matt McAnulty. That's me. Got the driver's license. Swallow, Matt. Ground yourself. You're a young professional with a tie. Just going about your business. Legit. Two minutes and the deal will be done. I'm advancing, crossing the forefront with some hard strides and... Holy shit. Hovering outside is a fancy-ass black Mercedes. License plate reading M-A-T-T-H-W. It's them. Thunder. The roof rattles. My eyes match the driver's. A bespectacled man whose blonde tight sheep curls have faded white platinum, sitting with the steering wheel in his lap. A woman beside him. Matt McAnulty's parents. I sprint so fast inside the store that when the sliding doors close behind me, I can hear myself panting. I straighten my tie, look around, pretend I know what to look for in this dim palace of bottles and boxes. In the dark end of the fishbowl, some woman is buying a whole basket of wine. I observe her actions, mimic her, turn to the shelf in front of me and select a bottle of hooch. God, it's heavy. Polish vodka, this shit. Silver label. I have to bottle a cognac and some stuff called VSOP Brandy with gold foil. I pretend to weigh a pair of Bombay Sapphire Blue Gin bottles, two for 50 bucks. Ruby Red Port. Shiraz Wine. I just need to find my Cody's Bourbon and Coke and dip. Cody's is the only alcohol I can tolerate to get me fucked up. I've had the stuff just once, at this party at Glenagawa's place. It was sweet and jagged and hurt my throat like toxic waste, but it got me out of my head, away from my identity as a crippled loser. Clock's ticking, Ollie. Some sort of alarm's gonna go off. Get the merchandise and get the fuck out of here. I know the Indian dude at the counter is watching me. He's pressed a button that's lowering the ceiling panels, I'm pretty sure. I searched the last few shelves. Merlot, no. Absinthe, <laughs> looks poisonous. Creme liqueur, scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey. You are looking for something in particular, sir? I'm staring directly into a name tag which says Aruneshwar. He's sidled up beside me. Above the name tag is the face of a student-looking dude who can't be much older than Matt McAnulty. Big round pumpkin head on a pencil neck. Tons of pimple scars. Total noob. But I need him. Cody's? I gasp. It's like, um, bourbon and coke. Aruneshwar guides me to the prize. It was in the beer chiller this whole time. I squint against the cold and take a six-pack of Cody's cans, dark and golden as bullets. I'm trying to read all the information on them. Aruneshwar tells me there's a discount plus a free t-shirt if I buy a case of 24. I almost say yes, except I'm down to my last 20 bucks. Plus, I have no way to carry that much alcohol around. He leads me to the register. I'm positive he's going to handcuff me to the counter and then call the cops. I slide a $20 bill across the divide. He looks at the cash like it's a dead fish. You are having ID, sir? I swallow. Dry throat. Search my right pocket. Nothing. I search the left and my back pockets. I... I thought I had... Forgive for me saying to you, sir, but this is in your... Aruneshwar is tapping his breast. He's telling me to check my white chest pocket. The dude's right. My church shirt is so thin and flimsy you can see the ID from outer space. I slide it across the counter. He picks it up, almost sniffing it. I'm Matt! A voice blurts. My voice? Fuck. I didn't tell my body to say that. Matt's identity is taking over. I think you a good night, Matt. Aruneshwar says, smiling and takes my 20 and hands me back 4 dollars change. The glass doors slide apart. I'm baptized in the air outside. I can breathe again. I'm in heaven. Where to go now? Back to school. Yeah. The retard block is the nicest place to hang. I can play with the plastic trucks and wood blocks while I drink my six gold cans. Lie down in the sandpit when I get too drunk. Think about how I'm like Anne Frank or something and everyone's mean to me and they'll regret it when I'm gone. Maybe I'll leave a diary. Under the overhang, I hear thunder stomping the earth. Birds scatter, flapping for somewhere sheltered, but it's cool. It's an omen. It's the world clearing its throat to say it's ready for me. Old Ollie reborn as gangsta Matt, hard drinker. I step out from under the overhang at the liquor store, scope the street, and take a single step back towards school. I'm blocked immediately. The Mercedes drifts in front of me. They were undercover, the people inside. Feds, narcs, without a doubt. A man who looks like Matt McConaughey plus 30 years, drained, baked, bleached, tired hair with filaments of silver, reaches from the driver's seat to the back and opens a back seat door. "Hop in, son. Before I can tell them that I'm not their son or ask how they think they know me or swear I'm just a faithful missionary going door to door, I'm trapped." They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together. But you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them. Because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the Internet so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Two. Two grown-ups in the front, Matt's dad driving, Matt's mom with her hands in her lap, admiring the view as the car hoovers up Lincoln Road, sucking each wet yard under the front. I bury myself in the velvety upholstered darkness in the back clutching my precious cans as if I could possibly come up with some explanation for the alcohol they're driving me to the police station I guarantee it they'll frisk me my fake ID will get me in a shitload of trouble my life is totally fucked except they're super mega nice teeth and shiny lips and eyes creased with joy as they give me a lift home They're bursting with conversation and asking me what heat setting I'd like the air conditioning on and it's making me awkward as fuck. I'm nervously half-listening to Matt's dad talk about the roadworks and when the council are gonna trim those poplar trees brushing against the power lines. Then he's going on about his career and how much he loves my dear Lynn and how they fell for each other at medical school and shit. So that was us. Married her on the spot, give or take three years of angst. Matt's dad is going. Pretty damn cheerful for a dude who apparently lost his job at the university hospital for malpractice or something. I could have been wrong on that count, though. Anywho, young child, pray tell. You've got your supplies. Where's the party at tonight? Wish we could come, the doctor mom adds. She does a little clap like a bipolar street corner nutcase, so enthusiastic that she bumps her own glasses off her nose. Are these jokers in a cult or what? So fucking cringe. I tumble along the rapids with these guys, lurching against the seatbelt as we slow for red lights. So you guys are like doctors, huh? I ask the front of the car. Uh, past tense. Matt's dad goes. We were. Understood. I say, not understanding. We've arrived at the end of our subservience to the medical establishment, Matt's mom says, staring hard into the rearview mirror. Free to do as we wish these days, the dad adds. Every man's dream, huh? Totally. My neighborhood trickles by. Best Burgers, Hillmorton High School, my street. I'm expecting sirens, handcuffs, a SWAT team hard stopping the car. Except we've turned into Jacaranda Crescent, which glows briefly orange as the dusk burns out, and we slow down in front of a big, empty, bush leafy park with a path. Except it's not a path, it's a driveway. These guys' property is so vast that it disappears from the street. Everything's blue now. Night's falling. There's a full 30, 40, 50 seconds of bending up the driveway before we slow outside some mansion in the middle of nowhere, and Matt's dad yanks the handbrake up. "'My good sir,' He says with that fake, phony, upper class cheeriness, like he's performing on stage in a musical. I do believe we have arrived. They split open this big, thick pane of frosted glass. Turns out it's a door. The place opens up. Their house is so big, there are like six different directions my head wants to turn. There's the marble foyer with its lake of thick red rug and carpeted stairs. They have an alarm with, like, a facial recognition thing. They have framed photos of Matt McInulty on the wall. Him at five, blonde, freckled, on Santa's knee. Matt, age ten, almost as tall as his dad, the three of them in a shopping mall photo booth. Framed snippets of Matt's athletics results from the school newsletter. Ink prints of Matt's baby feet. Photos of these guys' careers, too. Stethoscopes on their necks, blue gowns and face masks and goggles. A picture of Matt's dad graduating, robed in black. A picture of Matt's mom with some medically-type people in front of the Chicago Opera House. A photo of Mrs. McAnulty shaking Barack Obama's hand, even. They seal the door behind me. It feels final, like the outside's never coming back. My dick has retreated up into my stomach. Where the chandelier light doesn't reach, the house is black. Matt's mom's hands land on my shoulders. Soft fingers. I realize the mom is short and dark, almost black, like Indian, maybe. She can't be Matt's birth mom. Maybe the dad killed Matt's mom early on or something. She has black hair, eyebrows like dark smudges, but she's got nice bulgy curves and I like the way her hips bump into me as she licks her finger and wipes some goo off my forehead. Dinner's ready and waiting, my love. She tugs me through this room with paintings all over the wall and into a kitchen with copper pots dangling over an island. They've left the oven going while they've been out, cruising for kids, picking up random dudes like me, and Mr. McAnulty is rising from floor to island, putting down another steaming tray of gold with his oven mitts. The dude's put an apron on. His spectacles fog up. There are glasses of wine in these guys' hands all of a sudden, and they're smiling down like angels. Makes sense, cause I've arrived in heaven. The island is overflowing with golden, salty, fried, crispy deliciousness. "'Fingers of steam swirling into the blackness of the ceiling. "'In front of me is a dish of chicken nuggets, "'a pan of beer-battered fries, "'a platter of epic, mouth-drooly fried chicken. "'Tater tots, chicken tenders, barbecue sauce, Thousand island dressing, sweet chili sauce, and... "'Oh my God, literally, you can't be serious, "'mini corn dogs, my favorite.' I eat like an octopus, reaching across with my right arm while my left snakes under it. Two sides of my body, each at work. I'm filling a white plate with brown crispiness, while at the same time I'm pulling the deliciousness directly into my mouth to get as many calories down me as quickly as I can. Thank heaven, God, Buddha, the Jewish God, whoever, man... At home, this would be like eight different treats across six months. I'm wiping my mouth and accepting the knife and fork that Mrs. McAnulty's handing me when I finally catch my breath and go, ''Sorry, you guys. Just hungry is all. My folks kinda don't remember to save dinner for me sometimes cause they're breaking up and stuff.'' ''Don't apologize, son.'' ''Sorry, Mrs. Hush now. It's Lynn.'' Or Dr. Lin. Sorry, Dr. Lin. Here, let me help you with that. Doctor's orders, I insist. She's talking about my alcohol. While I've been stuffing myself, I've been clutching my cans of sweet bourbon. The bag's really crumpled and the cans are close to falling out. Mr. McAnulty's squeezing my shoulder and I'm yielding. I'm letting go. I'm coming undone and my precious cargo is sliding into his soft, warm dad hands. About those drinks of yours, he begins. My mouth goes dry. I'm about to get massively told off. Detention, getting grounded, cops, juvie. Anything could happen. It's beer o'clock, huh? The world unpauses, and instead of narking on me, Matt's dad cracks a can open with strong fingers and pours the stinky coke into a glass. It fizzes and reeks like a recycling bin. You've earned this. Un sasamon petit? Breaking a pill in half and sprinkling the contents into my drink. He has the orange half of a digestible pill casing in his right hand, the white half in his left. His wife leans into him, caressing him and staring down like they're admiring a new Labrador. Apparently, I'm the fucking Labrador. Drink up, Mr. McAnulty goes, lifting my glass to my lips. Mrs. McAnulty rubs my throat as they perform their two-person act, and I'm so woozy I don't even notice the drink disappear down me. After shoving more food behind my teeth, I realize I'm drunk, drunk off just one sip. I've been standing half off my stool, leaning over the fried food, but I'm getting dizzy and fat and full and heavy, and the stool pulls me down and everything's weighing too heavily for me to stand up and fight gravity. I got epilepsy, I blurt. "'My words are meltier than usual, like my lips are heavy. "'Sorry, just what I should say.' "'We know,' the mom goes, beaming down, "'her eyes half-closed with contentment, "'like she's drifting off to sleep. "'We've done our research. "'You're truly special, child. "'Ever heard of Roger Sperry, son?' "'No? Was it... it this soon? "'We'll talk once you wake up,' Mrs. Mackinolte says, tiptoeing out of the kitchen. "'I'll fetch you a pillow, child.' I reach for Chicken Nugget. It recedes into infinity, like it's caught in two mirrors facing each other. They catch me as I fall towards the tiles.' Surgeon's hands, firm, caring. I can feel uh, marshmallowy cotton absorb my head as I shove a pillow under. Night-night. 3. Dr. Sperry was the best mentor a young man could ask for when I was just getting started at medical school, well before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, I expect. There are thick black tendrils around my hands and forearms. The tendrils flex and pull and tighten when I wriggle. My butt screams. I'm sitting on something hard and my spine wants to shift but can't. Chair with rails. Dining table. Soft lighting. As I look around, the colors dribble like a picture on a broken TV screen. I'm on acid, I think. Or drunk or having a fever. We're in some lounge parlor in front of a fireplace. A room with books and some dinnerware in a dresser. I'm sitting up straight. I can sense the kitchen behind, though I'm facing away. I'm tied up in front of Matt McAnalty's smiling, angelically lit parents. Their faces melt, detach, float around like balloons, then find their place again found was that Dr. Sperry was the first to identify the corpus colossum as the region of the brain dividing the left from the right hemisphere, which was, of course, monumentally influential. Wouldn't you agree, honey? I mean, his work really did shape the course of both of our careers. Without it, you'd have one brain, Mrs. McAnulty says. But you don't. You have two, child. I have... Two childs? Mr. McAnulty turns his head away, laughs, returns. This is challenging for you. Frankly, I don't even know why I'm telling you the history of... I suppose it's because our son never listens to us. I think I'm sick. Silence. My own protests echoing. Let me go... I got get... got... got get back to... Get back to where, exactly? You're in no state to go home, drunk as a skunk. Unintelligible, frankly. Mrs. McAnulty crosses her arms and crumples her face. Shame on you, Matthew, really. If you'd cast your attention this way... Mr. McAnulty's eyes are wide with delight. I promised I'd regale you with the saga of one Dr. Roger Sperry. I want to go home. I try to move my forearms. The tape feels stronger than ever. My neck aches. Please, please, let me, let me go. Now, I met the man who was to become my mentor when he was close to retirement. We're talking 1982, 83, but back in the 1960s, Roger Sperry, Raj to me, performed experiments to study functional differences between the two hemispheres of the brain. So he really was extremely radical, yeah? Cutting edge, if you will. Mr. McAnulty continues... Raj's point of difference was that he became focused on a certain bundle of neurons people had long ago named the Corpus callosum, and what Sperry, he related this in the most enthralling lectures, to which mine pale in comparison, what Sperry, dear chap, did was he severed the Corpus Colossum in cats and monkeys to study the function of each side of the brain you see, as any of us would. Two faces of Mrs. McAnulty detach from the walls on the left and right side of her. They float through the black kitchen, past a dresser of fancy dishes, past the espresso machine and the vase of plastic roses, and the two faces re-enter the room and settle on the front of Mrs. McAnulty. It's the split brain. That's what Raji articulated, she tells me. It's having two independent brains in your head. do you see the split brain enables mammals to memorize double the information Mr. McAnulty goes looking at me hard his jokes are gone surely you see how significant his advances were son a visionary he was Mrs. McAnulty is preparing cups of tea now setting saucers and teaspoons in a sugar bowl on a tray hoot hoot We're on train tracks. A locomotive is coming. No, a fountain. No, steam. A train. Or the kettle's boiling. Realized a wee nip-tuck on the old Corpus Colossum could ease epilepsy for folks just like you, he did. I mean, doesn't this blow your mind, son? Not your... I'm... Not your son. He found the hemispheres in human brains have different functions. The left hemisphere interprets language, but not the right. The right is for imagination, theorizing. Matthew, you have your left brain to thank for logic, language, reasoning, science, math, Mrs. McAnulty says. She's leaning off her chair now. Her colors don't melt and warp and ripple as bad as before. A child who will meet the STEM needs of the future—that's what we need. Mad, I go. Math, Matthew, Mad MacInulty—he's got my my identity. Mrs. MacInulty bends down, puts a kiss on my cheek. Hold still. Mrs. McAnulty pulls a paper mask over her mouth. She's staring at my hairline. She presses a needle into my scalp. My head was throbbing before. Now it lifts off and floats away. Mrs. McAnulty is squirting oil on what looks like an egg beater with a circular saw blade on it. She flips a button. It hums. We'll make that nasty old epilepsy a thing of the past, dear. Mr. McAnulty's hands go somewhere above my head. The patch of wall I'm facing stays steady as Mrs. McAnulty runs her egg beater slowly along the side of my face above my ears. Thub, thub, thub. When the bent over position hurts her back too much, she moves around about two feet. Pink icicles form above my eyes, drop and splash. My eyelashes shake. Something purple squirts, hits a wall, trickles down onto the armoire. Then I'm seeing Mrs. McAnulty upside down on my left side, standing on the ceiling, and so is Matt's dad... They've swapped positions, and finally she's in front of my eyes, switching the egg-beater saw off and resting it on a metal trolley. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, she tells me from the ceiling warmly. Halfway there. Hang tight. With Mrs. McAnulty lifting on the left and Mr. McAnulty lifting on the right, they remove some annoying thing that's been sitting on top of my head. It's an eggshell with bluey pink squiggles on the white inside, and lots of spiky blonde hair that (laughs) looks like mine. I think someone put a bicycle helmet on me that I'd never noticed. Mr. McAnulty smiles as he crouches in front of me, placing a rubber ball under my chin to hold my head straight. I'm feeling air, ...riffling through my hair. Light summer crickets. Relief. Thanks, guys, for taking off. Stay as still as you can, he tells me. Mom will look after you. Mrs. McAnulty's tongue is sticking out the side of her lips. I'm surprisingly high in my chair and she has to stand on tippy-toes to reach in with her cutter. There's... chewing gum in my hair, I think, maybe? Or she's just giving me a haircut? It was controversial, of course, what our Raji did, but what better way to establish which eye talks to which hemisphere? I mean, for Pete's sake! The dad is roaming around me, doing laps while his wife operates almost shouting over the squishy, crunching sound. Now, our illustrious doctor started with split-brain cats. He taped shut one of their eyes and presented them with two different blocks, one of which had food under it. After that, he switched the eye patch to the other eye of the cat and put the food under the other block. The cat memorized those events separately and could not distinguish between the blocks with both eyes open. Rhesus monkeys followed, naturally, and the split-brain monkeys memorized two mutually exclusive scenarios in the same time as a normal monkey memorized one, proving conclusively two brains were operating. Of course, he had to progress to clinical trials. I mean, wouldn't you? He had to... pursue greater challenges, surpass boundaries... Roger Sperry moved on to human volunteers, as any of us would. He pauses. Sever the corpus callosum and you've got yourself sharper focus, fewer neuroses, anxiety completely cut out, returning the brain to the way it ought to be, if you ask me. Mrs. McAnulty leans over. I see a blue electric flame hover in front of me. It smells of propane gas. And the grades you're going to achieve, now you're able to focus better? Equally groundbreaking is everything our Raji achieved, we like to think. She squeezes my knuckles. We're just so glad you're staying with us, child. I'm in Las Vegas. Teleported. Arrived in front of slot machines with spinning wheels that deposit images in two columns in front of my eyes. One column, on the left, is Mrs. McAnulty reaching into my hair with a gleaming steel butter knife, steadying herself with her left hand. Second column, right, Mrs. McAnulty holding her gleaming steel butter knife, placing it back in a little kidney dish on her trolley. The blue flames disappeared. All done. Attaboy. Mr. McAnulty squeezes my wrist. You'll be a terrific son for us, Matthew. I've got a feeling about you. I'm not a... Not a son. I'm not... Ma... McAnulty. I'm... Please, let me go home. Mr. is embarrassed. He chuckles once, looks at his toes, looks away. He reaches into my chest pocket and pulls out a small, pale rectangle, wiping a spot of blood off it. You look like Matthew Lawrence McAnulty to me, though our Matthew usually has a little bit more on top, of course. He reaches up to tousle my hair, then yanks his hand away, sucking a little blob of crimson from his knuckle. I can't... Fume hairs is. We'll fix that right up for you. Mrs. McInaulty pulls on fresh gloves. In her right hand, she has a mug of steaming cocoa with marshmallows on top. In her left, she has a, a porcelain bowl like a giant white tennis ball cut in half. Shaggy yellow hair hangs off of it. My hair. She flips the bowl over, reaches behind my head, positions it gently with two hands. Mr. McAnulty fetches metal plates, screws, a stapler. Four. I can't remember some parts. Nobody can remember coming into this world. You just wake up and there's your family, and you have a life in front of you. I study. I do my homework. I talk a bit funny, but I'm a good boy. I put my clothes away when mom-mom says I oughta. I eat my carrots. I can trace a circle with a compass. Can you? My hand is 7 inches long from top middle finger to bottom of my wrist. What about you? I'm not allowed to go out and play with friends. Don't need 'em anyway. A boy's best friends supposed to be his mom and dad. This kid though, this pale grumpy-looking kid stops around at my house to pick up some clothes. He has cool puffy shoes and a cool tattoo on his neck. Looks kind of familiar. I reckon I've seen someone just like him in a photo pinned to the fridge. As he carries out his clothes, he looks at me with my hovering spoonful of fruit loops, shakes his head, walks out. Mom mom says he's going apartment hunting. Needs a small microwave oven, cordless phone, some ethernet cable, a box of Mom-Mom's groceries. Mom-Mom talks to him on the porch. She leans in to give him a kiss and a hug, but she leaves a distance between their feet. Not too close. (laughs) He ain't family. My dad plays catch with me in the yard. He can hit a softball to the moon. Can your dad do that? He rustles my hair like he's wiping a window clean. (laughs) What about your dad? I like my name. My name is Matthew. Matthew McNulty. I'm safe in my room, did you know? Mom, mom, and daddy trust me to study. Don't need a curfew. Don't need to take medicals. Sometimes, when night is falling, my daddy takes me down to the park and pushes me on the swing. We walk past the bulletin board outside the shop. There's a missing child ad for this kid Oliver. He's about my age. The posters whited out, bleached by sun. Old news. I feel sorry for his mom. I don't think the kid's coming back. You've been listening to Fake ID by Michael Boder michael boder is a fiction writer based in new zealand he has written numerous novels and short story collections which can be found on amazon and through other retailers you can find audio adaptations of a number of michael's stories on the chilling tales for dark nights podcast network and youtube channel well my friends if this show was as tongue-in-cheek as tales from the crypt this would be a great time for me to make a pun about having a splitting headache. Luckily, unlike our good friend the cryptkeeper, I would never debase this fine show with such low-hanging fruit. At least, not when I'm in my right mind. Thank you for joining us tonight, listeners, and I hope to see you again next week on Horror Hill. I'd like to remind you that we're going to be closing out this season with a full read of horror classic The Events at Porath Farm by Ted Klein. That will be airing the first and second weeks of August, but I guarantee that there will be no shortage of chilling tales between now and then. Until next time, listeners, stay spooky if you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program please take a moment to stop by our itunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word it makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me if you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes Visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there Where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week as for me personally you can find me on facebook twitter and youtube username viking guitar and also on instagram as viking guitar productions in particular if you're looking for someone to provide voice work for your own project or are in need of audio production of any sort, it would be wonderful to chat. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you. To let it in You've been listening to the Horror Hill podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody, finalization by Craig Groschek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel... Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.